Support for the ShakeOut podcast comes from Port San Antonio, a technology campus where nearly 4,000 new jobs in aerospace, cybersecurity, robotics, and other fields have been created in the last three years. And in collaboration with the San Antonio Museum of Science and Technology and other partners, the port will be home to a comprehensive eSports arena and innovation center in early 2022. More at techportsa.com. Drew McGanigal is the guy they call when things go wrong. When the company profit and loss statements are upside down, when all the odds are against coming back and the guys owed money are calling the shots, they call Drew and his company Maco. All due respect to, to real guys in the Navy, we're kind of the, like the SEAL Team 6 of business. Drew goes into those, often oil companies, and sometimes replaces the management, makes big decisions about layoffs and next steps. It doesn't make him very popular. You know, I'm on a few people's holiday cards list, but then I'm, on a, I'm not on another group of people's holiday card list, so it works both ways. But for a long time, before he was in corporate restructuring, he was an oil man. Uh, yeah, we had a uh, oil well servicing company with about 15 or 16 workover rigs, as I recall, and we also had an oil and gas portfolio. My father, who started the business, had also been a wildcatter, and my middle brother uh, was an independent, a small independent oilman. And they were an oil family in the biggest oil region in the country, the Permian Basin. Hi, I'm Paul Flav, and this is The Shakeout, TPR's podcast about the economic impact of COVID-19. The oil bust in Texas has seen 60,000 jobs lost, hundreds of millions of dollars in lost economic impact, and, uh, oh yeah, the price per barrel was negative for a time. Who does that pain fall on most, and what does it mean for those communities? And has the pandemic given the industry a vision of its future? That's Michael Taylor, columnist for the San Antonio Express News and Houston Chronicle. He's been interested in this topic for a long time. First, back to Drew McGannigal. Drew grew up in Odessa, a blue-collar city right smack dab in the middle of the Permian. His family's business was pretty big for an independent oil service company. Everyone knew the McGannigals, and Drew's brother would later go on to become mayor. And things in the 80s started out pretty good. price of oil hit a record high in 1980. People were making money. I mean, the soap opera Dallas was celebrating the Machiavellian maneuvers of the Ewing family. You have already ruined his career. Isn't that quite enough? Hell no, it's not enough. And, uh, you know, I was in my uh, mid-20s at the time. And, you know, the 80s, early 80s, had been somewhat of a boom. And everybody was business, and business was ginning right along. Uh, and then it stopped. While American consumers are enjoying the benefits of oversupply and lower prices, the oil business in this country is hurting. I think what we're in right now is kind of an emotional freefall. For every dollar the price drops, Texas stands to lose $100 million in state revenue. This auction house is run by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Its wares are the fallout of collapsing oil prices. Uh, our family's business went through a Chapter 11 after the bank that we did business with in Odessa was closed. 
No one had seen a bust like this in a generation, and it didn't end at oil producers and service companies. Oil is expensive. Oil needs loans to survive, and those loans weren't going to be repaid. Over the course of time, over 640, I think, Texas banks closed. Banks closed all over the country. Uh, one of the largest independent banks in the country at the time, Continental Illinois, in Chicago, folded primarily because of its oil and gas portfolio. So it really did turn the industry upside down. People lost their fortunes. Banks foreclosed and sold off equipment in auctions. The McManical family business was over. But more than 30 years later, the memories are still there. I can, I can remember specific days and hours and events. Like when Gulf Oil drove the rates of contracts so low for a company like his, they couldn't make any money. Or when he got a call from a competitor with an unlikely warning. I was called by a competitor who told me that the bank had closed and I had a payroll uh, that afternoon, uh, you know, that we weren't able to make. He handed out $20 bills and said they could go to the grocery store on the company's account. It is horrendously stressful. And there is no, it, it's unrelenting uh, because there simply aren't very good answers. And if you're in the oil and gas industry specifically, there are even fewer answers because nine times out of 10, the decisions and what's happening are totally and completely out of your control. Production rates of your competitors, of OPEC, demand swings, you really have no say. Sometimes, you know, unfortunately, the solution is that there's not a solution. And the only thing you can do is, is you know, close the business and call it a day. The 80s drove people like Drew out of the oil industry. It also drove banks and capital away from it. And the communities that rely on oil suffered for decades. They had never seen anything like it. Until now. As I told uh, someone the other day when we were on discussing this very topic, I said, look, this downturn is going to make the downturn of the 80s look like a cakewalk when it's all over and done. What the hell? It takes skill to drill an oil well. Wildcats from way back, way back to San Antonio. Okay, Michael Taylor, first I want to take us to sunny Midland in Odessa, Texas. Just driving past Faudry Road in Midland County. Midland and Odessa, okay. Uh, why are we going there? Because I want to talk a little bit about what this collapse in demand means to a community that relies on the oil industry. And those two cities, Midland and Odessa, are the hub of the most productive oil field in the country, the Permian Basin, and the epicenter of the current oil collapse. So I traveled there and spoke to a number of people, including this guy, Kirk Edwards of Latigo Petroleum. He says the area has been slammed. We had probably 470 drilling rigs running. And as of today, we've got 125 rigs running, which means we lost 350 rigs. And those rigs usually have 100 people with them. So it's 35,000 minimum people that we've lost just on the drilling rig side of things. Wow. So if it is true what I read, that there are 106,000 jobs lost in oil fields nationally, so what he's saying is like a third of all of those jobs were in this one single area. Around that, yeah. Odessa, for instance, went from the lowest unemployment rate to the highest in the state, from less than 3% in unemployment to over 13. And Texas accounts for more than half of all the layoffs in the oil industry. 
The number of rigs is a good indicator of where the industry is, and so is the number of new well permit applications. It usually runs between 200 to 300 a week. It's down to half that. So driving around the Permian in mid-October, you could see it. Uh, there's a lot filled with equipment, uh, rigs and trucks and associated equipment. Uh, all that stuff would be out in the field. Otherwise, right now it is completely stacked up on their lots. Each oil or service company I passed was filled with equipment that in normal times would have been at well sites. And all that equipment just laying around represented their lost income. Exactly. What I was seeing in October, though, was nothing compared to April, says Brody Pinkerton. There's not an inch of space out in their yard because they're just full of pumps and, and supporting equipment for fracking. And it was, I mean, it just makes your stomach, make you want to throw up. Just looking like, okay, well... I talked to Brody in Midland. He's one of the owners of Maverick Well Pluggers. They plug unproductive and abandoned wells for companies. And business is not great. Which one's which? 110 and 111? 101? Oh, yeah, one, yeah 110's out on Tony's rig. Brody walked me through their equipment yard, which was filled with more than half of the company's okay. rigs. He's talking to one of his employees about what maintenance the company can do while the rigs aren't being used. That engine, it's it's done, done. So we're gonna we're gonna replace it, and probably uh, open up the the plungers on the uh, on the pump itself and replace them. The these workover rigs are big. They've got ten wheels, five axles. The mammoth vehicles carry a derrick, sort of looks like a ship's mast. It rises 96 feet when they're working a well. It costs hundreds of thousands of dollars a piece. This one's actually just a little maintenance, honestly. And there's so many Workover rigs are used when an oil well needs a lot of help, like something's wrong and they have to replace pipe or do something to get the oil flowing again. But not Maverick. Maverick is the hospice care of oil wells. They pull the plug. More accurately, they, they are the plug. They pump thousands of pounds of cement thousands of feet underground. This is supposed to make the wells safe and protect nearby water supplies. But the radiator apparently has a leak and we just we need to get it while it's in the yard. We're, we're going to get that fixed. Brody's small independent service company is usually too busy to do maintenance like this. This time last year while we were really, really busy, all the maintenance wouldn't really happen out in the field. You'd, you'd use it until it broke and then you'd have to fix it out in the field. But not anymore, Mike. So I read that big oil service companies like Schlumberger and Halliburton have made massive layoffs. Yeah, that's right. I mean, companies that service oil wells are getting hit the hardest right now. And small independent ones like Maverick, which come, kind of come in at the end, are even more vulnerable. With oil producers cutting costs wherever they can, well plugging is just one area they're trying to save, shifting the expense to small companies. Here's what Brody described. They were sending essentially demand letters of, if you want to do work for us moving forward, and this was back in like April or so, if you want to keep doing work for us right now, you're going to uh, submit new prices with us if, at least 25%. And I'm calling and saying, look, we don't, we, we don't make 30% profit on this stuff. And it was kind of like, well, figure it out. Like y'all need to... Business is so bad that Brody, his father, and a third owner haven't paid themselves in five months. They had to lay off more than half their guys. Less work and you're getting paid less to do it. And 2020 was supposed to be a big year for them. Oh, it was going to be a knockout year, honestly. We were, we were getting contracts, we were getting, we were building, upgrading, and yeah, it, it, it just came and hit us right in the face. I mean, it, we, we were really expecting to have a great year. 
But the truth is, I mean, the year started rocky. 2020 saw a war over oil production break out between Russia and OPEC. Both wanted the other to cut their production rates. Instead, they both ramped them up. It was the highest spike in production in 30 years. It caused oil prices to plummet. And this was happening at the same time as demand was imploding because of COVID. 90% of the U.S. was under a stay-at-home order. China was in full lockdown. Lots of ships weren't transporting things. Airline flights decreased by two-thirds. People hunkered down and didn't drive. I mean, for a brief time, oil was unnecessary. I remember it being my business partner's birthday, and I'm telling him, I was like, well, happy birthday. It's probably one of the worst ones you've ever had. Just remember that was, that was April 5th. Then the market did something it had never done before. This was just nuts. I think you'd see the day where we would see negative oil prices. People would pay you today to take their oil off their hands. The price of oil fell below zero. Oil companies had no demand for their product and were paying people to take it off their hands. It eventually reached negative $37 a barrel. I had several messages through the day. What's going on? What's going on? Can I fill my swimming pool and put oil in it? So there's 20 extra million barrels just sloshing around with no place to go. Yeah, I'll never forget that day. I screenshotted it when it was like negative, was it negative 36, negative 38? It was, I just never thought I'd see anything like that. So that night, Brody sitting around a friend's backyard with others, all of them working in the oil industry in some way. They drank beer and commiserated. We're sitting on his back porch drinking beer and just, I mean, we, all you could do was laugh. It was it. It was, I was like, well, what, what are we all going to do? You know, that was kind of the... At one point, Maverick had just one rig working. Now, seven months later, they're up to six rigs, but they're still making less money. Like I said, right now, we're just limping along, maintaining it, what we've got, hope, hoping that it'll get better. But if it doesn't, we just want to stay where it's at. It's a pretty grim, Mike. Well, talking to them, did they expect it to get better? He says everyone says the same thing. Call us after the first of the year. But Maverick's bills are still coming in. I want to be clear. Brody says they're going to make it. He's very optimistic. They've got a lot of kind of fish on the line. But he isn't sure what will happen if it gets worse. If the price of oil drops. Uh, it's stressful. It's really stressful. Being an owner-operator, it's, like I said, we're... Maverick's always been good about being a family. I mean, we, we've got some guys that have been here forever. I mean, they, we've got guys that live in my, my late grandmother's house. I mean, they're, they're family. Like I said, it's stressful because I feel responsible for everybody, let alone my own family. And that company, Brody's Company, is just one of hundreds of different service companies that dot the landscape of the Midland-Odessa area. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this whole area, this entire region of Texas, relies on oil doing well. Brings workers in fills up man camps, those guys go to restaurants, those guys buy things, those guys rent out all the hotel rooms. Renee Earls is the head of the Odessa Chamber of Commerce and says oil and gas is the lifeblood of this place. We talk about here in Odessa and the Permian Basin that no matter what industry you're in, we're all in the oil industry together. She says busts aren't new in Odessa and they understand that. You know, we're very used to booms and busts here. And I think this one's a little bit different because we felt like that things were going to, you know, we were told by virtually everyone that this was a boom that was lasting a, a bit longer than any of us expected decades. And that matters because everyone from the chamber to its business members have been making plans based on those estimates. 
the boom caused a lot of demand for housing. And housing prices had never really recovered from the last bust in the 80s. But that was starting to change. After decades of having no real investment, the area has new housing coming in. The city even partnered on a new hotel and a meeting center downtown. Oh man, you and I talked about hotels in the past, but now the demand that made this one of the most expensive places to rent a room and apartment must be totally gone. Yeah, the demand's gone, and it's sort of good for people that live there permanently. It means that they can maybe get out of their leases that are 30% higher than new leases. It also means fewer people and less business. Have you ever had any, you know, financial issues? I mean, that's what I found when I visited the restaurant The Barn Door in Odessa. Owner Roy Gillian says they're doing less than half the business they usually do. They're right now because of all the COVID stuff, we're down. Last month, we were down 37%. That's just walking in the restaurant. That doesn't include our catering. In our catering, we did another 25%. So we're, we're down quite a bit. He and his team would often pack up a mobile grill and drive it out to an oil well to feed the crew. We would drive, you know, 100 miles and go out into an oil field and, you know, charge them by the mile, of course, and go out there and maybe cook steaks on our trailer for them. And they're away from their families. It's kind of a, when, when they see us show up, it's kind of a morale booster, you know. And all of that has gone away. They're making a lot less money now. But he, like so many in this community, have West Texas stoicism about the whole thing. So West Texas stoicism, what does that mean? I mean, it's sort of blasé to them. I mean, here's a local credit union executive I talked to, Jason Barrett. He's lived in oil communities his whole life. The ups and downs um, don't surprise us a whole lot. I mean, that's part of being out in the oil economy. You know it's going to go up, and you make hay while the sun shines, but it's going to go back down. And you just got to get ready when it's down to start making hay again when it comes back up. So while the experts and analysts and media are freaking out, West Texas residents just hope they put enough away in savings to last through it. Okay, so stop me if I'm wrong, Paul, but it feels like the big question when we look at a place like Odessa in 2020 is, can most of these companies hold on long enough until recovery? And then also, are oil and gas jobs coming back in the medium term? Good question. Let's take a quick break and talk about it when we come back. This is The Shakeout. I'm Paul Flav. He's Michael Taylor. We'll be right back. Immigration. I think we need to all get in before the wall goes up. Health. The Promotora, they have all the resources that can get them the help that they need. Art. There's this kind of subversiveness to it, right? We cover all these topics and more on Fronteras as we examine issues along the border and beyond. I'm Norma Martinez. Download Fronteras where you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to The Shakeout. I'm Paul Flav. Before the break, we saw the view from West Texas as oil prices plummeted and now just limp along. And the question is, can companies hold on until people are driving and flying and doing what they did before? We checked in with a number of experts on it, and it seems like the consensus is that there's a lot more pain to come, that oil prices are going to remain low for the foreseeable future, and that it isn't something that banks and Wall Street investors want to fund. I don't think we're looking at the, this is the end of fracking as a thing. No, I don't think anyone's saying that, but they, they are saying that the landscape is going to change dramatically and the way the industry operates and how it funds itself may change. I mean, 2020 has been a wild ride. 
I mean, Wild Ride hardly really puts it into perspective. Garrett Golding's an economist for the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. He says as bus go, this current one is king. It's the worst one. It's and it's different than all the others. Uh, the speed with which it's, with which this happened uh, earlier in the year is unlike anything we've seen before, and the depth of to which it got. You know, obviously it can't get any worse than negative oil prices, which is what we saw in, in late April. And that's scaring away the money. It does not appear that capital markets are willing to bail these companies out as willingly as they did in the last two down cycles. Um, that's going to be a problem for many companies going forward. So we've seen this before with investors. I mean, there is a, obviously a pattern of boom and bust in oil and gas. So the advent of hydraulic fracturing in oil and gas happens 10, actually 15 years ago, leads to discoveries of new oil in Texas and elsewhere, sometimes in places that we thought were exhausted. And then this shale or fracking revolution turns an old, dusty, kind of moderate return industry into something really exciting and technologically innovative and therefore potentially lucrative. Stocks in public companies like Exxon soared and private investors pounced. So in generally, the shale revolution was not financed by a debt. It was financed by equity uh, for the most part. That's Gary Cernovitz. He's worked in energy finance for 25 years, and he wrote a book called The Green and the Black, which I love, which is about the shale revolution. And for the last 10 years, investing in the energy portion of the S&P 500, you'd have lost half your money. Everything else, you would have tripled your money. So a lot of promises went unfulfilled. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is not great. Cernovitz says the only way oil companies get more investment at this point is if they essentially revert back to the boring, steady, dividend-paying sure bets of the 90s. I mean, from the corporate side, let's talk to Drew McGannigal again. He's the one-time oil man, now oil business restructurer from the beginning of our episode. He thinks the majors, like the Chevrons and BPs and Shells of the world, they can last through this. In fact, you've seen a number of them merging, and buying one another to gird themselves for what's next. But the smaller independents, they're the ones that are in big trouble. It takes a lot of money to be in the oil and gas business. It takes a ton of money to be in the energy service business. Uh, it just, everything costs a lot of money. The rigs cost a lot of money. The tools cost a lot of money. The money won't be there. So far this year, there's been more than 90 bankruptcies in the oil industry. In the oil service sector, there were more bankruptcies filed in the third quarter of this year than all of 2019. And McGannigal's firm, which does this for a living, is planning on the numbers remaining high through next year. Because of all those things, the only people who can really survive it long term are going to be the major oil companies, the major service suppliers. At least in my opinion, you're seeing, you know, probably the death knell of the independent oil man as we've known him over the last 60 or 100 years. So what do we know and what do we not know? We know that there's been a lot of uncertainty in the market. Yeah, and we know that the Permian Basin is still the most productive and cheapest place to produce oil in the U.S., which is why author and investor Gary Cernovitz says when America's oil industry is recovering, very likely Odessa and Midland will recover their production jobs first. Long live the king. The Permian will, will recover and will be an important part of the global oil supply going forward. But for many other parts of the U.S. oil and gas business, it does feel like uh, the coffin maker is, you know, had already had the first nail in and a couple more <laughs> have been added during, during, this, uh, during this one. 
But that doesn't mean that Odessa and Midland won't suffer for a long time. I mean, the last time there was a big bust in the 80s, these two cities became kind of ghost towns. Odessa home values were 44% below their 1983 values 23 years later. And the community is really suffering right now. I mean, I found one charity where they could only provide rental or utility assistance to one out of every four people that walked in the door. Well, that is brutal. We also know that investors have been burned, and likely this era of pretty free and easy capital is over for the foreseeable future in oil. And we know that that's going to probably mean more bankruptcies. We know that there may be a vaccine that comes to market next year, so that is good news. And the market for oil shot up along with stock prices for publicly traded oil companies. But, you know, we don't know the timeline on that. And we do know that there's a new president coming in. He's been on the fence about fracking on public lands, which scares the industry and investors. And that habits have changed to some degree. We know that burning fossil fuels are increasingly unpopular to the public and that green energy is something that many want. But still, oil is a mainstay of the global economy and people are really expected to use it for a long time. I mean, certainly the view from West Texas was that the sooner people get back to flying and driving, the better. The sooner we get life back to normal, the better for everybody. But the country as a whole has learned one thing that the people of Odessa and Midland and in the oil industry have known for a long time. Sometimes you don't get a say. I guess every oil well looks mighty good until the day that you plug it. There's a saying for a well that's looking good and turns out dry. Kind of goes like this. High and dry, that's where I've landed. High and dry, that's where I'm stranded. High and dry. This has been The Shakeout on Texas Public Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Michael Taylor for contributing to this episode. Uh, production assistance from Ben Henry. Our editor is Kitty Isley. And Dan Katz is our news director. Special thanks to Sergio Chapa from Bloomberg Energy for assisting us on this episode.